hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back to the Outdoor Drive Podcast. This is episode number 99 with your boy. Wait, wait, hold up. What number? 99. Seriously? Yeah, 99, bub. All right, cool. Carry on. We're there, bro. So it's your boy, East Coast Trev, and this is just Steve. Just Steve. Just Steve. We are just kicking it back. Just a nickel, man. Just just kicking it back. Super excited, 99. We're about to head out. Probably, actually, while this is downloading and you guys are listening to it, we are on our way to Illinois. Um, We're headed over to the WCB studio with the boys over there at WCB. We're going to record our 100th episode with them guys, and... uh, That'll be out next week, man. What do you say, Steve? Dude, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun to just kick back, cut up, and just enjoy time with the guys. You know, we won't have the the pressure of all the people and the shoot and all the busyness going on. We're literally just going to sit and cut it up, which we haven't done in a long time. I think that it's kind of important that we kind of share that that milestone with them, honestly, for, for at least me anyways. You know, with those guys paving the way and kind of always kind of having, having our six, you know, they really have always taken care of us. I mean, the reason why, you know, we have the hunter's box uh, because those guys kind of turned us onto it and helped us out and kind of got those things going. Um, Speaking of with the hunter's box guys for the rest of this month, you can go on to uh, hunterboxclub.com or go over to our website, the outdoordrive.com and get on there in the partner section and click onto the hunter's box. That'll take it in the link. We're going to pay for your first box. And all you got to do is pay your shipping of four ninety nine, and you can get the Bambi's mom was a management dough. I know you guys keep seeing those and I know you guys want one. Um, so get on over the hunter's box club and get yours now and don't forget about it. But um, being able to go out there and kind of kick it with those boys and have fun and we get to do something even really special we get to go to the rodeo i am i know you guys are kind of like what the rodeo in illinois yeah dude so we're gonna go that's normal out there yeah we get to kick it with them and and kind of go to the rodeo and be there for their little rodeo family party and stuff so super excited for episode 100 it's not going to be anything special other than just kicking it back with the good old boys have you ever been to a rodeo trev no, what the? They don't have rodeos here, bro. I live in the armpit of America. What the? What's a rodeo? The no, only thing rodeo is wait. when, what? The only thing I when you think of rodeo, all I can think of is like that pig that they grease up and they let it around town and everyone's trying to catch it or whatever. I mean, that's that's not a rodeo. Nah, no. 
<laughs> maybe where you're from, maybe it was Virginia, yeah. but yeah. no, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm just you're, you're going to have a, a good time. That's a trip. Yeah. It's I'm uh, super excited. That's all I can say is you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Man. I'm looking forward, man. I, I want to go see it, see what it's all about. Hang out with the boys. We'll probably drink too much and eat too much and whatever else we get ourselves into it. We'll be eating some fresh thresher steaks and some uh, striped bass fish cakes and God only knows what else we end up doing while we're out there. So some things don't change. No, nothing ever changes, bro. You we bring get out the east. there and cook seafood. <laughs> that's it, man. You bring the east to the west, bro. So that's what we'll be doing this week. Um, getting getting ready for episode one hundred. So I'm I'm super excited, man. And and having to be able to do that, we were talking about that kind of on my ride home the other day. Like already have episode one hundred. Yeah. I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't think that it would happen the way that it did. And as smooth and, you know, having the partnership that we have and it working out and being awesome and not having to worry about it and everything kind of like no pressure and just absolutely it's, it's been a fun ride, man. Like, you know, the next time you guys hear us, it it's, we're at a hundred. It's kind of crazy to me, man. It, it's, it's surreal, you know, and, and to a lot of people. Yeah. A hundred doesn't sound like a lot, but anybody who's in the podcast realm, just to make it clear, the average show makes it seven episodes mm-hmm. to hit a hundred is actually a, it's a benchmark that that's a hundred weeks straight, never missing a week. And in this instance, we did it a little quicker with some doubles and doubles. triples in the week, but that that's a lot. Not many, not many shows do that. No. So and it, it's fun though. I mean, like we, we look forward to this to a hundred. We will look forward to the, the first year. And we looked, I mean, we're not off very much off the first year of trying to get it in a, in a first year. Um, we did it in the second year or not even like a year and a quarter. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's a grind, man. People don't understand kind of what goes behind it and everything. And it's, but it's worth it. It's worth every penny, man. We do it. We don't do it for anybody other than the people that listen to us and we do it for ourselves. Uh, we could honestly care less. So, oh, I yeah. I agree, and I, I've said it now. You'll hear it again, and you'll hear you heard it in the past that you know whether there's one listener or a million, we do it because we have fun doing it, mm-hmm. and, and you the listen because you along. enjoy listening. Yeah, and the people so, that we've met along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, just, it's just it's a family, dude. It, the best times we ever have, we get together for the show. And I'm doing the whole air quotes type thing around that. But in reality, it's like, yeah, the show's just an excuse for us to get with some friggin' awesome people and have a good time. Cause I mean, it's just, it's the lifestyle we love. It's the community we love. And there's just a family built around it that you're not going to find anywhere else. No, absolutely not, man. Well, so what have you been doing this week to kind of prep for the deer season? She's back here behind me on the table. I know. I saw I, your post I, the other day. I finally broke down. I got absolutely sick and tired because the only bow shop near me that I trust is an hour and a half away. And anyone who knows me knows that when I do something, I want to know it from the ground up inside and out, how everything works, why it works and be able to do it myself. You know, same thing with saddle hunting, with deer hunting, with hunting out West. You know, I want to do every aspect of it myself with full self-reliance and up till now my shop i've got everything except the press 
So I could do everything up till there. I had a little filled press, but you know, anyone who's used those know they're a little bit jankety. So I broke down. I finally got me a, a full bro press, ordered a set of strings, and literally rebuilt my bow because I was having some issues with a, a string that was built that was a little too short, had some bend in one of the cam axles, replaced the axle, reshimmed it, reset center shot. Did all of my own serving, my own tie-ins, everything. And to go out and paper tune that thing and have it shooting bullets is just a, it's a feeling of an accomplishment that I did this. And now when I go into the field, I mean, I can pick up my bow right now and be confident that it, it's going to do what it's going to do because I made it do it. And if it doesn't, it's because I screwed it up. I can't put the blame on anybody. It's a hundred percent on me now. So that's been actually really fun to dive into and just yeah, head first arm back. It's kind of been one of your things that you've been into for a while now is, is kind of tuning bows and shooting and stuff like that. So to have that probably sets it all aside and be able to do anything that you want to do with the bows. Well, I, I'll be honest, like what really pissed me off was at the shoot. I knew that bow was off. Something was not shooting right. You know, shots that I knew I should have be drilling X's on shooting 12s. Now I'd be two, three inches off at 30 yards, which is killing me. And then the bow hunting league tournament, you know, I dialed that thing in and had it shooting great. And I'd shoot great for three weeks and have one week that I was just absurdly off. And that's what made my mind start tinkering. And that's when I realized, okay, I've probably got a, a bent axle and my cam is shifting. So not being able to make those shots, you know, missing that still target at 89 yards. I mean, it's a six inch hole. There's no friggin' way I should miss that. So it, it kind of spun me and put me over the edge. And I was like, nope, I need to, I, I got to fix this. I got to figure out why and make it right. So down the rabbit hole, I went and here we are. That's awesome, man. I haven't been doing all that much preparation, couple of cameras. I got those new Moultrie cell cameras, Deltas, which they're phenomenal cameras, honestly, for what they are. Um, yeah. I've always been a huge fan of the Moultries. Uh, I've used Did them you find the, the ones you put out last year? <laughs> nah, they can just stay out there. I don't really care. No, just kidding. No, um, they're still there. Some of them are still working. Uh, a bunch of spy points. Um, there's been a bunch of spots. I'll just pick them up as the hunting season goes on. But um, those are sitting there, and then we'll set up another about a, probably eight or ten of them. But I haven't really done much of the prep stuff. Still on the water, man. We killed that big thresher this week. That was an yeah, absolute. Congrats blast on that, man. Thing. Tell me about that. That thing kind of put me through the ringer, honestly. Um, <laughs> when you called me afterwards, opinion, I was yes. like, dude, you sound like you just got out of the gym after four hours. <laughs> well, I was dying, man. It was just crazy. Like, I, you know, I went to my buddy Don's house, and the first thing I said to him is, listen, I'm not reeling the shark in. If anybody knows, um, it's not – all of us, like us charter guys or guys that fish for these things a lot, we don't even care if real, man. Like, I, I just want to be part of it, man. I want to I want to buttonhole it with a – harpoon or shoot it or whatever i don't really care to reel it in well anyways the we got there we couldn't find bait to start off and we said screw it we had a bucket full of year old bunkers we brought that with us we had some chum and had some squid some big tube squids and uh so anyway so we ended up getting out to the grounds halfway out there 
our buddy Don's motor ends up throwing a code over temp, no oil. So we ended up having to put out there at like eight knots. It was absolutely miserable. <laughs> so finally we get out to the fishing spot and we're already halfway there. So we're like, whatever, man, it's a long ways from the shore. So screw it. So we end up getting out there. We set up and the tide uh, was slack. So the water wasn't really moving, not really drifting and shark fishing want to drift um, to kind of get that slick out there and keep moving. So anyways, we're about an hour into it. We get about a half a mile from where we had started, which isn't good at all. And uh, we're like half asleep. And one of the balloons wouldn't fall into the slick. So normally when you're drifting and then you have balloons on your rods and normally they fall into the slick or near the slick, right? And you have three rods going and they're normally by the slick. But one of them was staying up to the front and that was our down rod with the squid. And I'm like, what the hell? I said, Don, I said, that's the one that's going to go off because it's nowhere near the slick, but whatever it is, what it is, it'll go off somehow. That's the one that's going to go off. So anyways, 15, 20 minutes later, this thing ends up going off and we hear a lot of times with the threshers, you hear because what happens is with that big long tail, they smack their bait, they kill it and they turn around and they grab the bait and they take off. Well, so that's ends up happening. So we hear and I look up, dude, and there's just this giant leap 75 feet away from the balloon, just out of the water. Here comes this giant thresher. I'm like, we're on, we're on, we're on. Grab the rod, grab the rod, clear him, clear him, clear him. So I end up grabbing the rod that has the fish on it. I end up poking <laughs> the fish. So we don't have a belt ready. We don't have anything ready. Nothing's ready. There's shit everywhere. The boat's a mess. We're half asleep. So I got the rod. I'm fighting it without any type of belt, any type of nothing, dude. And I'm just fighting it. Well, that one engine that was up that had a problem. Um, normally you start the boat and you kind of run away from the fish and keep it off the back of the boat or the side of the boat or whatever. And that wasn't going to be the case. I said to Don, I said, listen, I said, put up the motors, turn them off. I said, I'm just going to fight this thing around the boat. I said, it's going to be a merry-go-round, but I'll do it, whatever. So anyways, he gets the boat on me, dude. I'm up on the gunnel. I'm fighting it around the motors and this, that, and the other thing. I'm everywhere, dude. I'm fighting this thing for like an hour, hour and a half. And finally, I get the thing up or halfway through it, it ends up coming up. And I'm like, get ready, get ready. He's like, the harpoon's not ready. I'm like, what have you been doing? I'm screaming at this dude. Get this, get that. What are you doing? You an idiot. What the, blah, blah, blah. I'm fighting the fish. <laughs> it was nuts. So anyways, he ends up coming up. He jumps out of the water, goes underneath the, the boat, goes the other side, this, that, and the other thing. So like an hour, hour and a half later, finally get this thing up. And he ends up, he hits it, hits it with a harpoon, goes through the gills. And the thing is just, it's, it takes off one last time. And I'm like, Oh, I hope this all holds together, but it does. We end up getting to the side of the boat. So now we're holding, I got the rod strapped to me. I'm holding on to the harpoon line and he's trying to get a tail rope on it. I'm like, bro, grab the gaff. He's like, we don't have a gaff. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? We have a seven foot shark at the side of the boat, dude. And we're holding onto its head and its tail is directly down. And I'm like, what in the world, bro? So I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm like, dude, this is the most half-assed thing I've ever been part of in my life. So anyways, we end up grabbing the boat hook and we end up getting it. We end up tail roping it and whatever else. This thing goes 73 inches over 300 pounds. I'm like, what in the world, man? Like that, that's too big. You don't want to deal with a shark of that big. I'm telling you two of us to try and get that thing on the boat was a nightmare. I thought I was going to die. Like, I'm as, as is, I fought this thing for an hour, hour and a half 
and I am just exhausted to all bit. Now we got to try and get the thing inside of the boat. We end up getting it inside the boat and it was just a nightmare, bro. Just complete night. I, I never want to put myself through killing that big of a shark in my entire life ever again. I'm like, just totally over it. So whatever it's done, it's over. We killed it. Uh, we actually had a phenomenal week. I killed the tuna on Tuesday, killed the shark on Friday. Well, it just doesn't get no better than that. It was just a great old week. You guys, as usual, hung up a, a pile of good stripers in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fishing's been phenomenal, guys. It's it's next to none, probably one of the best best yet that I've seen um, this time of year. And I don't see it getting any worse as as these moon phases come up and they keep piling these big fish in. I mean, we killed one a couple of days ago. When I didn't kill, we caught. Uh, it was 51 inches, 48 pounds. So that would be Good the biggest night. one this season. Uh, we killed a pile of 50s. Uh, 48s, 49s, 50. Uh, there was a girl, she was uh, 13 years old. She got a 50 incher, 50 and a <laughs> half inches. Yep. So we haven't broke 50 pounds, but we've broken 50 inches. Um, and I think a lot of people go, you know, they see the fish and they're like, oh, that's a 50 incher. Well, the we boga everything. Everything's our, us on a certified scale. So when we say we, we caught a 50, 50 pounder, we really caught a 50 pounder. We have not got one yet, but it's coming, man. Super excited. I think, I think next month within the next couple of weeks, we'll get, we'll get those fifties when them fish start to load up and they start pushing back down for the fall run. That's when you start seeing those real big fish. So hopefully yeah. you're coming, but by then it'll be deer season and I really won't care about fish. <laughs> be honest. So hey, that, that's all right, man. Yep. Well, let's get on with the episode. What do you say, man? Let's should, do it, man. Let's, we let's uh, knock out a little bit of uh, some of the the usual business yeah. before we get into the some, real business. Some real big changes, honestly. Um, we now have the official broadhead of the Outdoor Drive podcast. If you guys don't already know, uh, Zeus Broadheads, man, cut them loose. NewEraArchery.com. Uh, we've been thankful enough to have those guys come and help us out and kind of partner up with us. So you guys will be seeing a lot of cool stuff um, in the future with those guys over at Zeus Broadheads. We've already shot Zeus. We've been with Zeus um, as a friendship thing, but they've uh, now come over to help us out with the podcast and going to partner up with us. So check those guys out. New Air Archery, uh, Zeus Broadheads. Uh, also, Gator Outdoors, uh, Outfit in the Working Class. Promo code Outdoor Drive 25 on that one, GatorOutdoors.com. Nor'easter Game Calls, get them in close. NorEasterGameCalls.com. They have all of um, their custom uh, outdoor series. There still is a pile of those. Those are the Fox Elderboro with the Mexican Coca Bowl wood. Great, great stuff. He's got the ivory ones coming out also. So go and check them out, NorEasterGameCalls.com. Out on the limb, MFG.com. They are the leader in mobile hunting. They have everything that you could possibly think about from your camera arms to your uh, platforms and saddle hunting. They also have the hush, which I've heard a lot of good reviews on it. A couple of my friends have actually played with it and uh, they absolutely love it. So go and check that out out on the limb mfg.com. We'll actually have chase from out on the limb uh, on the podcast here soon. So he'll talk a little bit about that stuff. And then last but not least uh, latitudeoutdoors.com. Um, they actually have the method two and the method one um, on there. They are the probably the most comfortable saddle that I've ever sat in in my entire life. Hands, hands down. down the most versatile 
useful, quiet of the package, ready to hunt saddle between the classic and the method one and two hands down. Great. And they the make it in the XL for you it. big guys. Uh, honestly, I, so I went with the XL. Uh, I tried out both of them and I, I like the XL, honestly, a little bit bigger for us, bigger guys, real comfortable to sit in. I could definitely do it all day sitting that thing. No questions asked. And I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. The other thing is they have the metalist system where there's no metal at all. So get on over to latitudeoutdoors.com. You can go over to our YouTube page. We got a lot of review stuff on there um, on those and more to come. Uh, so we'll be growing now that the episode 100 dropping, there's going to be a lot of big changes, a lot of new things. Um, as far as, you know, just kind of rebranding and kind of getting things going here. Um, we're really excited for, you know, the next hundred. Yeah, man. We're going to take everything we've learned over the past hundred, all the input thoughts, design ideas. Uh, I mean, really it's hard to explain, but there's a lot that we're changing. That's very subtle. So you may not notice it. You may. I mean, as simple as our intro. Yeah. You know, there are intro music, um, you know, all these little things. And we want to hear your feedback. Your feedback is nothing but important to us. So make sure that you, you know, you definitely do that. And, and as always guys like share, subscribe, tag us and stuff. We want to see that stuff. So please make sure to go out of your way to do that. We, we, it would honestly be very important to us. And, and last but not least, as far as with helping us out, Hunter box, hunterboxclub.com. Uh, if you guys get on over there and get your t-shirt for this month, uh, you have until the end of the month to sign up for that. And then you'll be able to get one of those. Um, Bambi's mom was a management doe. So. And it's not just that. I mean, every month you get really cool random items. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, in my boxes that came through on this one, you know, the Euro Mount skull hook and the fire starter. I mean, it literally, it's like a miniature version of C4. Everyone thought we were crazy overseas because we'd pull off C4, light it on fire and cook over it. Mm -hmm. And that's what this reminds me of. It's a little, just a little clay thing. You light up and start you a fire. I had no, no clue it existed, but man, is it useful? Yeah. And the other thing is you get to, you get to check out all kinds of new things. You get a couple of little surprises and you get a badass t-shirt. Who doesn't like t-shirts? I'm a t-shirt guy. I like different hunting t-shirts, funny t-shirts. So what's better way to do that than 20 bucks a month. So get on over there, man. Like Steve said, definitely. I mean, and this month, you know, like I said in the post, Disney won't tell you, but Bambi's mom was a management though. (laughs) Well, I think our boy, Mike Salter's got something important to say. I agree, man. Do me a favor and crank that bad boy up. All right. Cranking up. Hey everyone, Mike here with some news for your crews. We're going to start this one off in Wisconsin and emerging rift over wolf management. Last year's hunting and trapping season saw 218 wolves being taken, which was 83% above the established quota. Due to the hunt being during the breeding season and unknown impacts to reproduction, the DNR had proposed a quota for this year of 130 wolves. Last Wednesday, the Natural Resources Board held a meeting in which 36 out of 48 organizations and people testified asking for a quota of less than 130. 130 wolves, with many requesting a zero quota. Going against testimony in the DNR proposal, the board voted 5-2 in favor of a 300 wolf quota for this upcoming season. 
The board also approved 10 times as many licenses be available as the number in the quota. So for any interested in the season uh, this coming year, it will open on November 6th and close when the quota has been filled. But it looks like the long-running controversy over wolf management in Wisconsin is far from over. Now to some promising news from the University of Vermont's Entomology Research Lab. It's no secret that ticks have been impacting moose populations in New England, and more specifically, northern New England. A study from last year found that winter ticks were the main factor in 70% of northern New England moose calf deaths. Uh, The research lab has been exposing these ticks to a naturally occurring fungus uh, in a biopesticide application. In the lab, 37 to 100% of the tick larvae have been killed by using this fungus, depending on the dose and application. And researchers are now hoping to harness this fungal superpower to curb the tick epidemic. They also say that the process does occur naturally in the field and the fungus typically grows in the same type of soil and litter uh, the tick larvae are attracted to. So now once the researchers are ready to start applying this in the field, they will likely be targeting specific moose habitats for application of the fungus. So hopefully this will uh, happen soon and overall a promising step to help struggling moose populations in northern New England. Next, I want to thank Steve Marduk for sending me this awesome story. Uh, This story takes us to Ohio where 23-year-old Trent Beachy has his 16-point buck he thought was lost two years ago. In October of 2019, Beachy got an opportunity at this unique buck at 20 yards with his crossbow. He thought he made a good shot but lost blood after searching uh, for the buck and coming up empty. He never saw the buck again and thought the story was over until 2021 when his distant cousin Jim heard of someone finding a dead buck uh, they had believed had been poached. Jim's friend had found a huge buck while walking his dog near his home. Jim helped his friend, uh, Matt, jo- Matt Jordan, uh, recover the deer, and Jordan received a salvage tag for the buck from the game department. Jordan decided to have the buck mounted, and then in December of 2020, Beachy happened to see a photo of the mounted buck on Facebook. He immediately recognized, recognized the unique rack and learned that the buck was found only 600 yards uh, from where he had shot the deer. Beachy reached out to Jordan to tell him his story and ask him if he could see the buck's remains and check it uh, with a metal detector for his broadhead. In less than 15 minutes, Beachy found his broadhead in the remains, confirming it was the deer he had shot. Beachy, now knowing it was the buck he had shot, told Jordan it was his. Uh, he had found it and he had mounted it. But Jordan insisted that Beachy take the buck as he was the hunter who had killed it and its rightful owner. Beachy even cut a check for the taxidermy costs, but since Beachy was getting married, Jordan said consider it a wedding gift and has not cashed the check. So just a great story and a true testament to the good people that we have in the hunting community. Uh, And congratulations to Beachy on closing that chapter and having that unique buck back. Lastly, back to Connecticut where a fish record has fallen. Zach S. uh, officially has a new state record white sucker, which he pulled from Crystal Lake. The fish officially weighed in at 5.25 pounds, which bested the previous record of 3.5 pounds set back in 2019. So congratulations to Zach on his new state record. Uh, As always, uh, please send along any news you might have. It's greatly appreciated. Some stuff trickling in here and there. Uh, You can reach out to me on Facebook at Mike Salter or on Instagram at bearded underscore bowhunter21. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it, buddy. As always, keeping everybody informed with what's going on. And don't be afraid to send them your news, man. Let them know what's going on. Season's here. 
uh, new laws, regulations, things that are happening, the news, you know, people getting hurt, whatever, you know, things that are going on, man. Let, Let Mike know. Let him let everybody else know what's going on. For sure. So why don't we get over to our boy Chris from Wolfpack Outdoors. We had a great time with him. Uh, definitely a sentimental type of podcast. A lot of good intel. Um, definitely might need a notebook for this one. I mean, the information he shared, not only the tactical and the overview of how he does things, but just just the vibe. I mean, he he really brought out a lot of positive things that I hope everybody takes into the deer woods with them because some of the stuff we touch on, you know, it hits me every season at some point. It's like, man, I just want to, I want to give up. I want to get out of the tree. You know, I'm over it, but some of his stories, it's like, okay, that's why you don't, that's why you just sit and you be persistent. So what do you say? We just go ahead and uh, roll into this bad boy. Absolutely. Let's do it, man. Welcome back to the Outdoor Drive podcast. We are on the phone with our good buddy, Chris J from Wolfpack Outdoors. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, pretty good. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well, man. Thanks for taking the time and joining us tonight on this great podcast. I know things were kind of crazy, kind of getting it scheduled on our end, your end, everything. You know, it's just the way it goes. Sometimes we got to live life. We got little ones and wives and before uh, the hunting season kind of kicks off. So, yep. One thing or another, it seems like nowadays, at least get all that out of the way before hunting season gets here. Yeah, you have to, especially being this close to hunting season. You kind of got to make sure that those priorities get taken care of before uh, we get in the tree. We're right around the corner from it. That's for sure. Well, why don't we turn this key, man, hit this thing in overdrive. Why don't you tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and uh, a little bit about what you do. Uh, I'm Chris Jay. Um, I'm from central Illinois. Um, me and some buddies uh, comedically – always called ourselves the wolf pack my buddy ryan he kind of came up with it we grew up and we were in the in college whenever the hangover came out and so that was always a joke there's four of us that always hung out together just kind of called us the wolf pack and just as a joke one day he's like we ought to we ought to you know start a club doing that and i'm kind of one of those guys that if i get an idea i kind of run with it so i made a cheap logo and then later on down the line um our common buddy jordan johnson he uh he threw our logo together and everything for us and basically we just started this group um myself and and my buddy ryan that's part of the group we grew up together um, going a bunch of 3d shoots doing a lot of outdoor stuff together with our with our dads and uh we don't really have any pictures or anything that uh really we can show of kind of what we did back then um just memories of that we you know can talk to our friends and stuff about and everything but i kind of wanted to 
use this platform to kind of save those pictures, to get those out there, to kind of help, you know, other people, you know, open their minds about, you know, my kids are climbing all over the deer that we shoot and are asking us, asking me every time that I come in from the woods, daddy, did you get, did you bring me a deer? And I disappoint them more than I probably, you know, make them happy when it comes to that, but it's still fun to, you know, share that with them and hopefully get that instilled in them that, you know, they want to eventually do what we do and be able to enjoy the outdoors. And it's so important to have the little ones get involved, man. And that's, I think that seems to be like a thing all across the board where people are trying to get little ones involved and they may or may not, you know, I mean, and growing up in a household is definitely a helpful thing. It's the next generation. So if we don't start teaching them young now, you know, 15, 20 years from now, there's no one to pick up the slack. Oh yeah. And it's just, I mean, socially just to, just so it's acceptable to them whenever they see, when my kids see a deer or they see, you know, they look on the wall, they're like, Oh dad, daddy, look at that deer. I mean, we drive down the road and my daughter sits and spots a deer out in the, you know, 150 yards out in the field. She's like, look, daddy deer. And I'm like, I didn't even see that but she's spotting them as we're driving down the road. And it's just things like that. I enjoy. And hopefully, you know, eventually they'll continue to enjoy and at least maybe down the line, they'll get, you know, some of their friends involved. I'll, you know, be able to, you know, help at least continue to build the community because there's not a lot, there's more people leaving it. It seems like than there are joining it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. I, one of my best friends growing up, he wasn't, he didn't come from a hunting family and we just lived next door store to each other. And ever since we were kids, we started hunting and fishing together. Now he's an avid outdoorsman and it's, it's a great thing. You know, you, it's, it's always good to get somebody else involved. I mean, like yesterday you had daddy daycare and you guys are going and looking at deer sheets and whatever <laughs> else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that's always nice. We can always drive around. Luckily where I live at, We've got a hunting or a forest preserve pretty close to us any night. We can go out there and see 50 deer probably. And uh, we'll go out there and drive around. And there's deer, there's deer, there's deer, there's a turkey. Or we're just lucky like that. And did, uh, you, did you grow up in a household that was a hunting household from? Yeah. Yeah. So my dad, um, my dad started shooting a bow whenever he was in junior high or high school and he got super into it. He uh, shot competitions from the time. Well, from high school on, he had some pretty good success, got, you know, won some tournaments nationally and things like that. And then kind of brought me up to it. I remember going to the archery range with him when I could barely, when I could barely draw a bow back and I would just sit there and shoot with him. And the guys at the archery range were always great. I'd always put a target at five yards or something and I'd sit there and I would shoot just the same as everybody else. And it was kind of one of those things that it was just kind of instilled, like, this is something that we do. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, that was the normal for me. Um, so whenever I got the opportunity, we, you know, two of the guys that are on our group, David and Trent, they never bow hunted, never deer hunted at all until I kind of, we kind of got, Ryan and I kind of got them into it. And they've since, I mean, Trent ran with it. He's killed, he killed a great deer two years ago, like a hundred and almost 150 inch 10 pointer. And then David, David, he farms and he really, uh, he really enjoys going out and deer hunting and coyote hunting and stuff too. And he's killed, he's killed um, a couple bucks and a couple does now. And, but again, we all have young families and stuff now. So it's the balance of um, being able to go out and hunt and not making the wives too mad and still spending time with the kids and everything like that. So. 
that is a tough balance, man. How do you, how do you do it? And what, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's in the same shoes as you? Uh, marry a very forgiving wife. <laughs> uh, I, I will vouch for that statement. Yes. Yes. Um, my wife puts up with way too much probably for me. And I'd, I'd say it, hopefully it gets me some brownie points eventually, but, um, I, I try not to take too much advantage of her. Um, the first couple of years that we had, that we had the kids and everything. I was out a lot. And as the kids get older, I know it's going to be less and less. I'm going to be able to get out just by myself. But I try to limit it. I try to limit it. I hate the early season just for the simple fact that if I go out and hunt in a night, my kids go to bed pretty early. I won't see them. So I try to um, take that early season and only go out when it's just perfect and try not to make it back to back nights if I can and make sure that anything that's on the honeydew list is done right. Whenever she says it, if at all possible. And that, that will get you more time in November, right? Yes. She knows, <laughs> she knows, uh, after Halloween, um, any night that I can absolutely get out or morning, it's going to be spent in the woods for sure. What, what probably is your favorite time? Like what, what makes you want to get into the woods on a certain day? Uh, I was just thinking about that kind of looking back on my, like the deer I've killed over the last four or five years. I think almost every buck I've killed over the last few years has been that November, November 1st to the buck I shot last year. I think it was November 8th, like that week for whatever reason around here, that seems it's the week we get a few stragglers that come in a little bit early, but, I mean, anything after that first November, it, it's just ready to break loose at any time. Are you more of a pre-rut kind of guy or uh, like a dead rut? Uh, I've, I would love to get them in the pre-rut. I mostly hunt public ground, and I, I've got a lease that I can hunt, but um, I'm an hour and a half away from it. So I've got a, it's a pretty good drive, with, and I can go hunt with my dad. But, uh, and it's normally more of a, a rut spot. So usually it takes – the rut in order to get those bucks on their feet to be able for me to catch them and for them to slip up with the pressure areas and stuff that I usually hunt. So what are you doing to kind of prepare yourself for the rut? Like now to get yourself in the position so that you have a successful rut? Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of boots on the ground stuff and past experience on hunting some of the areas that I've, that I've been in a lot. Um, I know, our lease that we have is it's pretty small and uh, we're, we're more of a, uh, of a family. It's just my dad and I, that if we put our time in out there, we know at some point a buck's going to work through and there's a good chance we're going to get, get a shot at him in one of the funnels that we're able to hunt on the ground, on the piece out in public. It's a crap shoot every year. I mean, there's, there's more and more guys that are out there hunting and which is great. Um, I kind of feel like, I've got a good, good peg on a couple of places that I do hunt. And I kind of, you almost have to hunt the hunters more than you hunt the deer. Mm -hmm. Those deer are so smart. I don't know how many times that I've been sitting in a stand, watch some guy walk past and five minutes later, a deer walks right down their trail. Yep. Cause they know that they'll just let them walk right by and then they pop up and walk and, and walk right out. So you kind of got to just deal with that pressure and deal with the people getting, you know, in, in the woods late and coming out of the woods early. If you put your time in, I feel like you're going to get your chance. It's, it's kind of funny that you say that, like 
like a hunter would go by and then a buck would chase right after. Right. And it's, oh, yeah. it's kind of funny. Cause like the, in the Northern woods, right. A lot of people in the snow, they'll do a lot of snow tracking. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if it's a big thing in the Midwest, but up North it's huge in the big woods. They'll literally get on a track. And a yeah. lot of the times you want to run two people because what happens is you just slowly walk and nine times out of 10, them deer will literally, when you get on a track of a big buck, that big buck will actually circle around and nine times out of 10, he's trying to get behind you. And that other guy is like 50, 60 yards behind you, maybe even more. And you'll, the, the second guy will normally be the guy who shoots that buck because what happens is he knows that he's being followed and he'll circle back around to try and find out what you are. The first tracker is right. And the second guy is normally the guy nine times out of 10 that shoots that big buck. And it's just, it brought up a very valid point. And, and I never really thought of that until that time where those bucks will actually do that. will follow the scent knowing that they're being followed circle back around and literally you're the second shooter, right? Because he's yeah. passing right by you. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I've had, I mean, I've had um, two or three different times I've shot deer. I mean, within 10 minutes of somebody walking past me or walking out um, it, and those deer out there, especially um, the couple places that we hunt, they can see forever because I mean, everything out here is flat. Mm-hmm. So unless there's crops up, those deer can see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards. So they see you coming and they're, they're going into the woods of the CRP or, you know, or, or down to a uh, ravine or something to get out of there. But a lot of times, 10 minutes later, they pop right out and they're back out there. That's and that, that brings up a really cool point and, and something that, you know, as I got into whitetail hunting, and I'm sure a lot of people still feel the same way, especially the gun hunters is when you get in there and you hear a gunshot and your hope just falls out your ass. Oh yeah. You think, Oh, there's my chance. They just, there's nothing happening today. Or someone walks by and you go, well, that just ruined this hunt. I better just climb down. And like you're saying, that's not the case. Oh yeah. Yes. Someone may walk through and screw up that two minutes, but who's to say that next big buck's not just going to slip right behind them. Mm Mm-hmm. And we, uh, yeah, and we, that's actually exactly what happened last year on the, the buck that I shot, uh, with my shotgun. Uh, he actually slipped past me. I couldn't tell what he was. Didn't, didn't exactly know. I just had a quick split second where he walked out there and I was like, I don't know if that's what one I want to shoot or not. And he walked right over the neighbors and 30 seconds later, boom, boom. I, I was like, you know, all of a sudden your heart drops. Cause you're like, man, I should have, I should have made it happen. I should have done something. And the buck walks off and five minutes later, that buck turned and came right back to me. And he ended up, he crossed right in front of me and I shot him. He ran 50 yards and dropped. Well, come to find out, we talked to the neighbor and the neighbor shot a doe right whenever I heard him shoot and then got straight out of the stand. And whenever he got out of the stand, he bumped that deer right back to me. And I told him, I told the guy, I said, Hey, I said, if you had sat in the stand five more minutes, this buck would have walked right to you. And he was sick, of course, but those, I mean, that's, that's ooh, go ahead, Steven. You're good. I was just going to say you, you never know. Cause no. you, you saw that buck, but you didn't see the doe. Right. So you hear bang, you think it's over. Exactly. And, and that's, it's calm. It's everyone goes through it. I know even during archery season, if I see a buck pass and I know somebody shot or, you know, a car drives by or a dog runs through, 
you know, the first thing in my head is, well, this hunt's run. And I start mm-hmm. getting, you know, a little pissed off, a little behind myself. <laughs> but that's where the persistence sits there and it pays off. You just tuck in, let's see what happens. And it's amazing how many times when something goes wrong, yeah, something follows it right, right afterwards. Absolutely right. And you see all these guys on all these public forums and pages and stuff. And they'll be like, Oh, a coyote just went by. Should I get out of my tree stand? No, don't get out of your darn tree stand. Stay in the tree. That thing could scare something back. You, Oh, I just, there's another hunter 200 yards away from me. Big deal, man. That deer might have that down scent of you of him and come down to you. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a, there's a million and one opportunities. I had a, a one-off that happened a couple of years ago. Um, I hunt a ton of public land also. And there was actually some hikers. I didn't realize it. I was on like, I was like a hundred yard, a hundred feet off of a hiking trail and I'm sitting up in my stand and I can hear them all walking. There was a couple of them. They had a dog. So they go by and they muddle and they're like, that guy's not going to see no deer. And I was like, mom, whatever. I was kind of got disappointed. I kind of got down. I'm like, Oh, these people are walking through the woods. So the deer, I mean, the dog, I can, I can hear him and the dog up on the hill and he starts barking. The dog starts barking. So I'm watching over there and I'm like, what in the hell is going on over there? I look straight ahead of me and here comes a big old buck coming right down straight at me. I was nothing I could do. I didn't have no, I mean, I had no opportunity and he comes down, turns broadside at like 20 yards and I'm just locked in the tree. But it's like, I was down on myself and I was like, oh, I'm never going to see nothing, but they pushed that deer right down to me and I could have yeah. shot him. And then he just kept on going. Well, it, it makes me laugh. It makes me think about when you came down to Virginia last year, Trev. Mm-hmm. We went over that chunk of public, you know, and at 445, old boy next door, you know, 200 yards away, he's out there with his rifle cracking off rounds, you know, because we're, we're in the mountains in Virginia. People just shoot out here to oh, yeah. have fun. They oh, just yeah. shoot to shoot. And, and Trev's like, this is normal. And I, yes, it's normal. We just go out and shoot. That's what we do. <laughs> well, we're in the, the saddle just sitting there and I hear wham, 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 wham. And I'm going, crap, that's like right next to Trev. And in my head, I'm like, oh, come on, really? So we sit there till dark. I get down, I go to the truck, and here comes Trev, dragging deer. Didn't phase them. No, oh, they came in like nothing. They walked right around his property. Didn't even, just nothing. Oh, I mean, I always, I always said, I actually, I bought my dad a shirt last year for Christmas. And I think it's from, I don't know, like the born and raised guys or whatever. But they said, like, my dad, he's always said it, like, it only takes one. And that's so, that's so true. I don't know how many times we get hunt, we hunt on, on uh, a property that on both sides of us, there's a couple of guys that hunt and we'll hear shots go off and we've had deer come back over that, you know, that they've shot everything else, but it's one of those things too. Again, just like you said, Stephen, like there's, there's a guy that, that shoots guns and he's a, uh, a gunsmith on the neighboring property to us and he shoots anytime day or night. And I think he oh, works yeah. like, sec- like second or third shift. So it's like every time we're in the woods and <laughs> he's got a big berm, he's got a big berm and we're down range of that berm. So he shoots and it sounds, I mean, it's coming right at you. You just hear a whack into that berm every time, but those deer, they don't even care. They don't even flinch. Yep. You it doesn't, even, doesn't bother them. Doesn't one bit. Yep. But one in our I minds, think- we tend to just, we, we tend to instantly go zero to a hundred for it. We're it's a good day. Oh shit. The day's ruined. Oh yeah. I mean, that's just our mentality. 
Yeah. Especially hunting public land, you know, cause you're like, Oh, it's done, whatever, you know, and you, you're always worried about everybody else. You're worried about the, all the noise, the hikers, the dogs, the, I mean, it's just constantly, it's always on your mind, but in all reality, like you said, Chris, I mean, you shot a ton of deer with somebody walking by and then mm-hmm. you just, the deer comes trailing down the trail and that's it. I mean, it's, it, they don't care. They don't, they really honestly, and it's good to hear it, you being in the Midwest. Cause like here, obviously we have a lot of suburbs and urban areas that we hunt. So it's right. not all that effective. Like where, I mean, all where people aren't infect, affecting the deer, you know, it just doesn't happen. Not true. People are infecting the deer. Didn't you well, see the tally? Yeah. <laughs> deer yeah. getting COVID too. <laughs> I think actually Chris was the one who shared that to me. Actually, uh, yeah, my, my buddy was actually, I think they were part of the ones that actually put that article out, to be honest. Really? Oh, that's hilarious. Yep, Illinois DNR and then the USDA. Yep. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. 41 deer got COVID. <laughs> it's fucking nuts, man. It's, it's totally nuts. I, I do actually have to, I want to ask you a couple questions about your public land hunting in, in the Midwest. Like what kind of things are you looking for when, I mean, I always joke about it. Like when we drive the Midwest, I'm like, Oh, Hey, look, there's a South facing slope. It's not hard to find. There's one, you know, or, yeah. or look at that block of timber. I said, you know, Oh, it can't be that hard. All the deer live right there, you know, but I want to know from somebody who lives in the Midwest, kind of like some of your inputs of like what you look for when you're scouting or e-scouting on some of the public land down there? So a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the land that I specifically hunt is flat. It's a river bottom. It's a, um, lake bordering the lakes. There's some big tim- timber that we, that I hunt too, but everything is cert- is revolves around agriculture around here. That's why we have the deer that we do because they're all the, you know, corn fed giant deer. And at the end of the day, I mean, a deer cares about its stomach. So I'm looking for, if I'm going to go out and scout something around, I know we have huge flats of acorns around here of oak, from oak trees. So you're going to get those acorns in early season. Those deer are going to hit those. And then in the, usually at the beginning of the deer season, if there's a green, there's beans around, I'm going to, I'm going to look around the beans and see if there's a, a, you know, a ditch that's coming up into a bean field or something like that. A lot of the areas that I hunt, I've hunted them for you know 10, 10 years now, probably. And uh, it's one of those things as well. You know, okay, well, this area over here is a thick bedding area. Okay, well, during the rut, I need to plan a day or two that I can sit on the downwind side of that and hope that a buck's going to be coming and checking the downwind side of that bedding area. Things like that. And, and on the, um, the one thing that we get around here that is just, you know, it's a pain, but there's a lot of people or a lot of places where we can go and set stands up and leave them. So we get to leave stands from September 15th and some of the places around here and they can stay in Well, there's supposed to take them out at the end of the season, but whether or not they get done is they're here, they're there, but um, <laughs> hunting where those guys aren't going to be at. If you can go out and, and pattern there's some guys that are in there every single night they're in the exact same stand every single time and you watch you watch deer come up to an edge and look at that exact spot well there's trees that i that i hunted for first couple years out there that i can't even hunt anymore because i've watched deer from 100 200 yards away they'll walk up to that spot and look at that tree and it's just they get educated so you've got to play a different game from them so 
I've kind of, I've kind of kind of morphed and adapted. I've hunted on the ground a little bit over the last couple of years. I've kind of went lighter on my, on my tree stands and stuff. I keep looking, keep thinking about jumping to the latitude or something like that to play around with it. But I'm also <laughs> six, five, six, five, two, two forty. And so That's it kind of makes, it kind of makes me nervous being that high and leaning out there like that. But no, man, it's just less height. You got to climb. I'll tell you so, when I, when I started saddle hunting, I was six foot, 280 pounds. Yeah. And it's, uh, it is, it is a nerve wracking thing, right? Being 20, 25 feet in the air and being in a saddle. But as far as like, especially hunting in the Midwest, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that you can move around constantly. When you get into those situations where you see that the deer are working a certain area or not working a certain area, you can just get down and climb right back up. And everybody yeah. always asks me like, well, how long does it take you to get up in the tree? I don't think it matters how long it takes me to get up in the tree. Obviously I can get up there a lot faster than you can with a regular tree stand or a climber or whatever, but right. it's all about being quiet and it's exactly. very simple. The only thing I need to do is I have my backpack on my back and it has four sticks and then it has a platform. It's yeah. not that hard. I can yeah. do that in less than what Steve, five minutes, three minutes. I mean, literally yeah, being, I, I think spot. our average climb last year in Ohio, taking our time in the dark was like seven minutes. Yeah. Like we'd it, get to the tree and he'd be like, Hey man, I'm at the tree. I'm like, all right, cool. Let me know when you're up. Just, for safety's sake, you know, in case right. something happens. 100%. Yep. And I, I think our average was about seven minutes. We're both in the tree. Hey man, I'm up. I'm good to go. All right, cool. And it just and then, makes things so much better. And it's another tool to have in your arsenal. Like you're saying, like being on the ground, you know, and you're dealing with a lot of these other people. Like, so I realized too, where you were saying with them deer would walk by and then just kind of like look right up in the tree Cause them deer get so hunted in such crazy areas, man. Like yep. I didn't even, there was the first deer that I seen out there. I went to go grab my bow out of the tree and the thing just snapped its head right up. Oh yeah. Like, what in the world is, yep. what am I hunting here? These are like, yep. like on Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And that is, I mean, that, that is a good thing. And I've over the last two years I've, I've gotten, which I have, my patience is not very, good nowadays i guess that's just from having twins but i i jump in and if i'm seeing something moving on the opposite side of the field or something that's the nice thing about having a light a light setup that you can just okay i'm gonna rip this down or even if i've got to run back to my truck it's always sitting in my truck i'll run back to my truck and grab it and know that i'm gonna run across to the field and you can get up into those smaller trees and everything because a lot of the a lot of the places i hunt it may be a finger or um, a small edge out on on like a funnel or something where you don't have a lot that you can actually get up into. So if I can get up into a tree that's only you know six inches thick or something like that on the backside of it and and be somewhat hidden, that's going to be your money spot a lot of the time if they come back through again. And so, what kind of setup are you running now as far as your mobile setup? So I've got last year I bought a Novix stand and uh, I bought their uh, their shorty sticks as well and I put aiders on there. Um, so that's what I, that's what I ran last year. Um, I bought backpack straps for it and I I the buck that I killed off public last year I hiked in from the backside of the property. It was like almost a mile and set up. I just kind of picked a pin the more the night before and i said this is going to be the spot they're going to be at if they're going to be cruising this bedding edge and went in there and and that that morning set up and shot him at nine o'clock in the morning um but it was one of those things if i 
you know, carrying a climber, I could have never carried a climber back to the place right. that I went to. It had to be something that was a small profile. And I'm not one of those guys that, you know, I can't run up and down hills and stuff like some of these guys can. So if I can, I can, I can walk a mile across flat ground carrying a stand or something like that. But, uh, I just got lucky and, and put myself in the right place kind of thing. And what, what, what date was that? That was November 8th. Jeez. And I had and he a, was checking, a, he was checking the bedding ground. Yeah. I had a, I, I got set up. I got set up a little bit, a little bit late because I was looking for, they had a, there was a big split tree that I was trying to get into. And I realized one of the limbs was broke or one of the uh, trunks was rotten. I was like, yeah, have uh, cat eyes in it. <laughs> uh, it. It was nasty looking. It was nasty. <laughs> and I, and I got, I didn't notice it until I had like my third stick on the tree. And so I was like, all right, yeah, nope, we're not doing this. So I jumped over like 25 yards from where I was going to set up at. And like 15 minutes after I got set up, I had a, this young eight-pointer come walk right up in front of me. And he stood five yards from me. And he stood there. I had, my, I had a little video camera that I play with. I had a video camera running on him. He was five yards away from me for eight minutes and just stood there looking at He'd look up at me. Trying, he was just trying to catch my wind. My wind was going right over top of him. And he just finally eased off. And a little over, a little over an hour later, that 10 pointer come, come from the way he, he actually went to a 10 pointer come right down the edge. And he actually come and stand almost on the exact same trail when I shot him. So, That's crazy. And so are you having a lot of problems with trees? Like as far as like rotting and having problems with them? It comes and goes. Uh, we've yeah. got a lot. I mean, we've had, we've had some kind of tree diseases and stuff that have come through here and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a buddy that's a, that's a wildlife biologist and everything. And he's, he's tried to teach me a lot of that stuff and it kind of goes one in in one ear, not the other, unfortunately, but (laughs) I'm like, Oh yeah. But yeah, there's, we do have a lot of trees around here that are dying off and that are, you know, we just don't have a lot of the, a lot of the bigger hardwoods and everything. And even the worst thing around here is a lot of the fence rows and stuff that we used to have all the farmers are taking them out. So if there, if there's any way for them to get a couple more acres, it's gone. So a lot of that habitat that the deer did have and that you'd see, you know, we'd drive around and see, Oh yeah, this edge right here came out 250 yards. Yeah. It's clear cut. It's done. It's done. They tilt it under. What do you mean yeah. by Fentro? Like when you talk about that? So they had, uh, um, the, the old timers and everything, they put up a fence row in order to mark off property line. And so in that fence row, there'd be some giant oaks or, um, and maples, or, um, we get the, uh, uh, all kinds of just big old nasty trees out here. A lot of the, um, uh, crab apple trees and stuff like that. And the farmers around here, they've started just going out during the winter and cutting everything down, burning it. And then they tell, then they'll rip out all the stumps and then till everything under. So then and you guys yeah. have been haunting those in the past. We have, we've had two of them get torn out around the lease that we have. Um, just used to be, I mean, sometimes it hurts, it hurts you. Sometimes it helps you. We have one where they would just bed in all the time. Well, they took part of it out and it actually, it helped us a little bit. And then those deer figured out and end up going around you anyway. Jeez. Right. Doesn't take them long to learn the environment. Oh no. Oh no. And they don't, they don't, cause, but you're using that as a travel corridor also a lot of the times the fence rows. Oh yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. You're, and you'll, 
We'll go ahead. You'll see. You'll see. So here, I mean, we don't have like like you said earlier. We'll have block timbers, things like that, a river bottom with a bunch of timber that follows it and everything. And then you'll just see fingers that come off of those those uh, those rivers for miles. And then a block of timber, then a block of timber, then a block of timber. Those deer will just jump back and forth. Well, they're looking for any type of ditch, low area, anything like that. You can drive a section, a mile section around here, and you may not know that there's a little bit of a dip in that or a rise in the hill there. And those deer will sit on the backside of that or feed on the backside of that so they can't get seen. You'll never know they're there. Especially but, them big bucks. Like I know for like here, they don't want to expose themselves. Mm-hmm. They want to be like three quarters in shade. We, I, or I would think of it as right. And that yeah, where, yeah. where they don't want to be exposed. Like they might run like for us, they run like mountain laurels. So you're saying that they're going to run them ditches the same exact way. They don't want to oh, be, yeah. they don't yep. want to come out into plain view. The, the whole from traveling from block of timber to block of timber to block of timber. Absolutely. Yep. Every time it seems like you can go out, you can go out to one of those ditches and there'll just be a solid, a solid trail along the side of it where they've deer will go from, they'll get bumped out of one section. They'll just hit that, hit that ditch or whatever it is and just run that ditch and then jump across to the next block of timber or whatever it is. Is that why you hear a lot of the times with the Midwesterners that they want to hunt the, the, the ditches or the, the creek bottoms and stuff like that, the creek crossings and all oh, that. Yeah. Is that that's for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. All those creek crossings and everything. And that, I mean, we don't have a lot of topography. We may have, I mean, and that may be the only thing that they have. I mean, that they'll be bedded in. There may be, I've heard stories for years and years of guys that, Oh, there was a ditch that was, or there was a deer that was laying in out in the middle of this field in this ditch. And you could just see his antlers, but there was no way you could ever get to him because he's laying out here in the middle of the ditch next to a couple of trees and some tall grass. And you're never going to get to them. And sometimes it's the biggest deer. And then there'll be some guys that just, you know, they figure it out, they spot them and somehow get a, usually a shotgun slug or something in them because we can only use shotguns here in Illinois, but it's pretty crazy. Has it always been that? The shotgun? Shotguns and muzzle loaders. Yep. So no rifles? No rifles. Why is that? Uh, too flat, I guess. Um, I, to be honest, I mean, I've got last year, my wife bought me a Savage 220. So I've got a shotgun that could shoot, you know, 200 yards. But for years, I think the longest shot that I've ever taken on a deer was right at 100 yards. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess it's kind of a bow hunter's mentality anyway. I, a lot of times I'll see deer and I'm like, oh, that looks so far away. And then come to find, like pull my range finder. I'm like, oh, it's like 75 yards. Like, yeah, that's not near as far away as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, I mean, a lot of times I'm sure it's like, you'll, you'll hear about Michigan or Pennsylvania, things like that. There's a lot of areas around here where you'll have, you know, hundreds of hunters out there. You can drive during shotgun deer season, you can drive and you'll just see every field edge. There'll be an orange dot, orange dot, orange dot. <laughs> Cause there's just, I mean, there's a ton, there's less and less ground for people to hunt and there's more guys that, that want to go out there and hunt. So if you had guys with rifles and it could get pretty ugly, we already have, I mean, every year there's always somebody that gets in trouble because they're shooting across lines and there's, you know, fight breaks out, something like that never, never fails, but. Chasing big deer. Chasing big deer. Does does Bush have anything to do with the situation? (laughs) Depends on the area. Yeah. Bush, Natty Light. We cannot allow and authorize rifle hunting in this area due to the consumption of Bush. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> you very give that up. Yeah, that would probably that would probably help the situation for sure. It's crazy though. You guys can you guys can only shotgun hunt, no rifle hunt. You guys have three times more ground, but then here we can rifle hunt. Yeah. And there's so much more urban area. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I have to believe that it's just because of the flat areas that, that we hunt. Yep. And, it makes sense. And, and the, I mean, being the, the, how far that, that, that rifle is going to carry compared to um, that shotgun slug and everything. But that was, I mean, shotgun technology, muzzleloader technology has come so far in the last couple of years. I mean, they have muzzleloaders now that can shoot 500 yards or better. Yeah, so, ultra mags. Yeah. And so, I mean, and on top of it, there's gray area that people have found out that they figured out they could use a straight wall cartridges. So they use, you know, the 350 yep. legends and, and things like that. And they're building handguns is what they call them, but they're, you know, ARs basically platforms. And then they can use a rifle for that. Yep. Damn. And, and, and it got- makes sense though. Cause you think about those heavier rounds, even though you got a muzzle loader that can shoot 500. Yeah. The, the velocity dies, the weight drags it down. If it makes it 700, it's going to hit the dirt. Yeah. Whereas you take a, a 300 wind mag and you take the same shot, that, that round's going to travel 18, 1900 meters till it hits the ground. Right. Right. So, yep. and, that, and then maybe, I mean, here it's, it's not an exaggeration. You can see five, 10 miles straight. I mean, I can, you can see water tower from town to town to town all the way around us. So right. I got to believe that has, has a lot to do with it. That's wild. That's totally Illinois, different. Yeah. Illinois, I mean, Illinois is usually behind on everything. If we could figure out a way to tax it, Illinois would probably do it. <laughs> well, you <laughs> ain't coming like to Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> so, but you guys can also drive deer down there, right? Mm-mm. No not driving deer. To. No, okay. not supposed to. So it's against the law to drive deer down there. You know, I've never, I, I've always heard it was always frowned upon. I've never seen an actual stipulation on an actual or a law that says that you're supposed to, that you cannot do it, but right. I've never, I've seen people doing it before in some of the areas where I grew up shotgun hunting and things you'd see, it, you know, deer drive and things like that. But in the areas that, that, uh, I grew up actually bow hunting and things like mm-hmm. that, we were, it was so such small populations and everything where. It was, it was common agreement. Yeah. Yep. I think that's kind of like how it is here. Like you can't have a party more than three for party that, hunting. Right? right. I mean, like it's, I know when I was growing up, it was illegal. Uh, you couldn't do it. And then now, or that was like a gray area, like you're saying. And then now it's kind of like a frowned upon thing, mm-hmm. but there's actually is kind of like a stipulation. You can't have more. Than, it's, it's really, really gray area. Yeah. Don't Just come to dangers. Virginia. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, Virginia, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, as long down as you here, up here in the mountain, it, it's kind of a different, the state's split. Like, the northern half of Virginia is not really a drive-type place. Everyone likes to still hunt or stand hunt. But the southern half of Virginia, that culture is dog hunting. You right. run dogs and you drive, and that's how you get your deer. Yeah. But, I mean, granted, a lot of it's swamp and shit that you just flat out can't get through, so that's just what they do. I'm not yeah. a fan of it. I've done it. had to try it before I could put my two cents on it. Not right. a fan, but yeah. at the it's same strong. time, I mean, it's, it's the culture, man. That's their lifestyle. That's how they were raised hunting. So that's what they do. Mm-hmm. It's, 
it's just crazy to me. You got three people on the same line and they all have come from or have different types of hunting. You know what I'm saying? Like you being in the ag flat, Steven's in the mountains. I'm kind of like in between, you know, it's just, it's just nuts to me that everybody kind of has a different area. And then we all kind of do everything a little bit differently. Yeah. And it's amazing how, like how a deer, I mean, antlers drive antlers drive you crazy and those deer they adapt to all that i mean there's deers down in like the florida keys it's insane like oh yeah how adaptable that they are any i mean i'm sure you guys see it out there by you but like we have we have in the city that uh i live just south of they walk they walk through town all the time mm-hmm. oh yeah. and and they're just you know we'll have to there's a couple areas that you know that you can't drive more than 15 20 miles an hour because in the evenings and in the mornings there's gonna be deer jumping out in front of you left and right yep and they're just stacked in there you near me you should you ought to see the college during the rut oh. it's the craziest thing in the world the giants that come out of nowhere Bro, there's be like 150s to like 180s just running around the college chasing does on the front lawns of the college dorms. Like it's, yeah. it's the craziest thing. Like I'll take, I'll take days off from hunting during the middle of the rut just to drive around and see. Uh, like it's insane. Yeah, like it's it's, there's a uh, there's a um, army barracks down there. I think it's called Jefferson Barracks. And there, I think last year or the two years ago, there was a couple deer in their cemetery that, that they have there. There was just these giant, giant bucks that were there every single night. And people were taking, just got some awesome pictures and stuff of them. And I think there's some, I don't know if it's on a draw or something, but I think I heard that the one buck that everybody had was getting a lot of pictures of was this giant typical 10 and somebody finally shot him, I guess. But you can drive down there and you can drive to a lot of places almost any night on these preserves and stuff. And I mean, it's nothing, like I said, especially during the off season. I mean, we'll go out and see a hundred deer and like, it's nothing in these fields. And it can, but the thing is you have the agricultural to maintain those deer. Yeah. Yep. You know, so they, yeah, they to, a point, to a point, they still get this is the first year that they've opened up. And I actually heard it on you guys' podcast, which was really cool about the Springfield, Illinois, uh, opening up a lake area um, deer hunting. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things that I've talked to, you know, some friends of mine and everything. I'm like, I can't believe that they don't try to control these populations because it gets to the point. Some of these deer just look sickly. Really? And, and a lot of people around the area love to go out here and see them and look at them and everything else and would hate to know that they're going to go out there and thin them out. But if we don't do it, if they don't let hunters go out there and do it, the DNR is going to come in there and they're going to sharpshoot them. And they're gonna. It's gonna be one way, one way or the other, or a disease is gonna come in there and just wipe them all out, or white yeah, buffalo or something. I'll, I'll vouch for that because that happened at, we'll say, a park up here. Uh, I won't say exactly where, but was absolutely pristine. One of the best deer herds I had ever seen on the East Coast. I mean, one fifty was an average buck. Wow, great buck to do ratios, healthy herds, healthy deer, and. They decided that, oh, well, the biologist said we have too many deer. And they brought in federal sharpshooters. And being that a lot of biologists don't quite understand that deer that live in an area where they are unpressured, like a park or places that can't be hunted, every deer in the area goes to the field. So when they spotlight count, they're counting the actual amount of deer but their algorithms that they try to use is like, okay, we spotted 20 deer. So let's multiply that by 
15 and that's your five mile area how many deer are there we need to take x amount well they went in there and they wiped out the entire herd like there were in a place where we'll say it was average you saw 15 deer in the morning you'd be lucky if you saw two yeah and it absolutely decimated the herd well we'll say i will say like our our dnr i feel like i mean they get a lot of flack and everything and i happen to one of our one of my good buddies works for the usda and he gets a lot of flack for it as well but i feel like they do have a kind of good grasp at least in our area i mean we have like you said you go out there and see some deer we're the same way all these deer come out to these same fields but they're we're talking about a we'll have like a one mile block and there'll be 250 deer 300 300 deer in this one area and you can go out there and just see them every single night and but i was just gonna say in your buddy's defense the shooters you can't give them the flack they're given a they're given a number yeah and they're given a job i mean that's their job your contract is to get x amount of deer that's okay tell me to shoot 40 deer i'm gonna go shoot 40 deer right it falls back on that local biologist whether it's the parks whether it's federal state local whatever that biologist makes that number up oh yeah if it gets screwed up it's that biologist's fault not the shooter agreed and i think that's where hunters play a big part in the conservation of it right because us as hunters we can't sharpshoot them so we can only get a certain number. So then the conservation part of it, like where Steven's coming from, like if you had a sharpshooter go in to the Springfield area and do that, he's going to shoot three times more deer than us hunters are. Oh, yeah. You know, so it actually plays in the conservation aspect of it instead of going in there and just decimating everything as it, as it comes. Yep. I mean, Absolutely. I will say the upside to what they did at the park is we used to have 20, 30 deer strikes a week. If we have a deer strike in a week, it's, it's phenomenal. It's like, holy crap, they exist. So upside to the non-hunters, everyone listen up, let us get more deer and you will quit hitting deer. Just saying. Oh yeah. Yep. We'll save, we'll save all the vehicles. All the insurance companies can help us pay for our taxidermy and everything like like that. That's a great idea. (laughs) Can we patent that and start a business? There you go. I like it. (laughs) <laughs> now how many how many deer do they allow you to have there in so, so we're allowed we can get two bucks a year and then as many does as we want oh, so really? um i jump around i think i i hunt i have quite a few different properties luckily uh, some public properties and a few private properties um and then my family we eat deer uh, a lot of deer all my friend all my friends all my family Everybody that knows that if I'm going somewhere or, or coming to a party or something, I'm probably going to bring summer sausage or something that off of the deer that we killed that year. Um, so it's nothing for my family to prop between my dad and I to probably shoot six or seven deer a year. Um, and we eat all of them. And it goes but, into a million different ways. Oh, yeah. Live on it. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. There's nothing but, better than that. No, lunch, snack, lunch is, you know, hard salami and snack sticks and dinners, you know, burgers and roasts. <laughs> Trev, or... put it away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is, that is the nicest thing about down there. The deer, the deer tastes three times better. That's what I've heard. I've, uh, I've never, 
luckily I have never had to uh, have any of the other deer. It's one of those things I've had, I've had guys be like, Hey, why don't you come out and hunt deer somewhere else? And I was like, why would I, why would I go hunt deer there when I can walk out into public here and see a 150? And so yeah. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go somewhere else and, you know, just uh, possibly get a chance at a 150 or something like that whenever we've got them out my back door. And we've had a couple of conversations, like, especially with Kurt from working yeah. class. I was like, well, why don't you come and hunt the East? He goes, why? Why would I ever do that? The, the, the next year that could possibly go by me might be 200, 180. Yeah. Yeah. With, if I was up by you, the next year that would come by me might be 120. You yeah. know, it's like, I get it. You know, I, I totally understand. I guess that we kind of, you know, like we envy you guys in the Midwest, you know, but then there's things on the East Coast that you guys envy, you know, like maybe the fishing or some of the other stuff, you know what I'm saying? And like, we kind of take it for granted because me, I'm like, I want to go to the Midwest. They got all the big bucks and everyone's right. like, but everyone will text me and be like, the fishing's phenomenal on the East Coast or the sick of deer or whatever the case may be, you know? Yeah. And every, that's, that's the, that's a nice thing. And I mean, I think everybody's kind of had their eyes opened over the last year, some more than others on um, all the opportunities that, that we have out there and not waiting to do things. And so like, I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit. Like, like you said, you keep posting pictures, of all these giant stripers and sharks. <laughs> and I mean, it's like living in a, uh, living a dream out there and i understand that we've had conversations about you know the fishing and everything too but um now going go, coming out east and going fishing or going out west where these where the guys are going meal deer hunting and and elk hunting and things like that i'm i i've already decided basically you know 22 i'm going out west somewhere whether it's pronghorns or mule deer i haven't decided yet but that's the goal. And then on top of, you know, any fishing trips or anything that I can get, get away with on top of that. So, <laughs> so, so I guess with, with your goals, um, what are some of the goals for uh, Wolfpack Outdoors? So we kind of started it honestly as a joke. Um, and really, really my goal is to just continue to go ahead and keep sharing all the, the, uh, um, trips and things that we do as basically a family. I mean, those three guys that, that I'm a group with, Ryan Albert, Trent, Trent Horn, David Cole, I mean, those are my selected brothers. I mean, at the drop of a dime, I would go anywhere and they would do the same thing and, and do anything for either one of us. And so we're basically a big family. And so we all have little kids now and everything. And basically my goal is to hopefully help them and, and uh, anybody else that would come into our group to uh, um, help to build the outdoor community. And we have the perfect opportunity with all the little kids that we have coming up through there. So showing, you know, pictures of them going and shooting 3D tournaments or little 3D shoots like, like we did this past weekend mm -hmm. with mine or um, going out fishing, just going out, you know, walking in the woods, shed hunting, things like that being able to get get them outdoors and you know off of an, an ipad or a fire tablet or what what have you i mean knowing that i mean my kids love just to go run around the woods and so we'll go out and run around the woods or jump on a four-wheeler like that's the goal is to be able to make it so that we can go and share the things that we do outdoors hopefully that will inspire somebody else or somebody to reach out to us and be like, Hey, I would like, you know, my kid to do that or what, you know, what can we do or what, you know, 
what did you get your kid for a first boat? Well, this is what I got because we're all going to experience it as we move up through there because the availability now of to be able to get, you know, a kid sized gun or a kid sized bow, left hand, right hand, things like that. The possibilities are endless. I didn't have that whenever I was a kid. My dad, I think, had to buy me a bow every year because I grew like a weed. But <laughs> I mean, you can get a, a kid a bow now whenever they're five years old and they can literally shoot it till they're probably 18. Mm -hmm. And so there's no excuse for monetary reasons. I mean, you can get somebody something and it's super easy. And there's always hopefully guys like me out there that are willing to, you know, if you have a question about something, I'm an open book and I'll, I'll give you any information that I can, that I can get. And I'll get you any, you know, anything that I can afford to give you in order to help hopefully get those kids out there and, continue to promote I guess the outdoors and everything like in a positive light I think it's kind of amazing kind of how you kind of went through that um you guys are actually out there doing it for all the right reasons which there's a lot of other people that are out there that may or may not be you know like you're just doing it because you enjoy it just to help another person you don't really care about the clout or what comes from it or the pictures or whatever it's you ain't just, doing it for the gram yeah no. you're doing it for no. the right reasons and I, I think that's a great great thing man honestly yeah, we're not, we're definitely not pretty faces, even though we call one of the guys, Ryan, we call him the pretty face, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, it, it, it is, it's because it's, it's not about uh, sponsorship. It's not about nothing. Like, I, I honestly don't care about any of that. Like, I'm, I'm all about wanting to hopefully get my kids to enjoy the outdoors. And I was lucky enough to help get a couple of guys into the outdoors. And hopefully that continues. Um, and if they can do that, well, then that just, hopefully it'll be a snowball effect. So we'll have more and more people that are wanting to go fish or hunt, or even just, you know, go out, you know, shed hunt, go out and enjoy the outdoors because more and more places are wanting to take those away from us. So if we have a bigger group that that's wanting to save that, that's, that's going out and enjoying it. We have a bigger group that'll hopefully be able to lock that down for future generations absolutely and going along with that man i guess i guess i'll ask you is what what would you change in the outdoor industry all the i guess there's i don't know there's so much <laughs> all the negativity i i hate the negativity i've got i've i've been lucky to kill some nice bucks but I get more excitement out of seeing somebody's face when they are completely jacked up about killing a doe or killing, you know, there's so many people nowadays and we get, we've got it on stuff that we posted before. And we'll post a deer that I'm sorry, like anybody should be proud of. And somebody be like, Oh, that would have been a good one next year. And I mean, it, we, mm -hmm. yeah, I say that to all, all my buddies It's a joke, but they know that I'm completely lying about it because I don't care what you shoot. If you're excited about it, I get jacked up any deer I shoot. It doesn't matter what it is. A doe, I've, I'll call my wife and she'll tell she'll tell you, like, I have a hyperventilate any deer that I shoot. So, because that's what it's all about. It's all about that adrenaline rush. It's all about sharing that experience with other people. So, if I could change anything, it would be all that, like, take away the negativity. Like, be, be happy for somebody else's success. Because... Any deer that you get, you have beat a creature that 
his whole life is just to survive and to not get killed. And you were able to get that done to provide food for your family, which is great, but you beat that animal. So that should be celebrated. Absolutely. And a lot of people can't do that, you know, and this should be, people should go out of their way just to congratulate people. Instead of like you're saying the negativity, like why it takes three times more effort to think of the wrong thing to say than just congratulations, man, you know, nice job. Well done, you know, and just move on, you know, why, why do you have to put yourself through that? Like, what do they say? It takes three times more energy to frown than it does to smile. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right. It's because the muscles, it's the same thing, man. Just congratulate people and move on. There's no need to go through all the negativity, man. It's just, I hate it. I really do. And I think it's, and it's one of those things like it takes, it takes no time to help out somebody else. I I've made it a point on the places that I hunt. If there's anybody out there that needs help with something. And that's how I met like some of my best friends is just by helping helping out, seeing them in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so I helped out a gentleman out at the woods that I, that I hunt quite a bit out here a couple of years ago, he shot a doe and he came in and he, I could tell that he was, you know, kind of distraught. And I said, Hey, I said, you all right? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, I shot a deer back here. I could tell he was an older gentleman. I said, okay. So you got some help? Oh no, I'll be fine. And I'm like, well, no. I'm like, how about I go give you a hand? And we were able to track his deer down. I ended up finding it, got to lead him to it, which was awesome. And he jumped up and gave me a hug. Never met the guy in my life. Jumped up, gave me a hug. He was super excited. I got to um, share the experience with him. And he turned around and two days later showed up at my front door with like a gift card to our local outdoor store here and came over and met my family and things like that. And come to find out like he grew up or he's actually from 10 miles from where I grew up at. But it's one of those things. I still talk to him every day or all the time after that. I'll talk to him all the time during deer season about what we're seeing, how we're doing. And I've dropped everything at a beat of the hat to go help him multiple times. But those relationships like that don't happen unless you put yourself out there and you're nice. And I mean, like like you said, it only takes a minute to be nice to somebody. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I think that's an amazing story, dude. That's so cool. And I think there's more people out there that do the same exact thing, but not enough people out there that do the same thing. And just, you know, just talk to those people in public instead of being mad at them for being there. You know, yeah. those guys are out there doing it too. They might be able to only hunt a couple of days a week, man. When guys like us get to hunt all the time, you know, help those guys work with them. Where are you hunting? Let me get out of your way. You know, it yeah. is public land. Let everybody kind of do their own thing, man. It's, it's a, it's a tough thing. It sucks. Right. But it, a good thing could happen. You could, you know, they could be going kind of in the semi area where you are and then you go to the other way and you shoot a 150. you know, exactly. I mean, it's just, those things happen. Karma is a great thing. And especially yep. in the outdoors, man, it seems to always make a full circle. 100%. I mean, it's, it, it's real simple. You know, when you go out and you get the time and you run into somebody, if you make it a good experience, who's to say that that's not going to turn around and benefit you in the long run. They may come back and say, Hey, you know, I saw this over here, but I can't get back out here. You ought to get down there. Yep. But if you walk in there and you're a jerk to the guy, he's going to come back and go, I'm never telling that SOB anything. Yep. The day, the day after the day after I helped that guy, um, drag his deer out and everything, I shot that deer right there. The very, the very next even, evening, 140 inch eight pointer. Yep. And, and I, I called him, I called him. He was like one of the first few people that I called after that just to tell him like what had happened and everything. 
And he's like, oh my gosh, you deserve that so much and everything. And he was just still, he was just as excited as if he would have shot. Him. Yeah. Because that's just the type of guy that he is. That's amazing. It, and it goes a long ways. Mm-hmm. Man, you just, you can't get enough positivity because it feeds off itself. Absolutely. 100%. You know, if it wasn't for the locals in Ohio, we would have had a beast of a time getting Trev's deer out. And those guys have been absolutely critical to our future plans. And they've been great guys and they've had incredible luck as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when we came out, we gave them our information. Hey, here's this, here's what we're seeing. Here's what we're doing. You know, hopefully it helps you. Right. And I really think it's going to make a, a really big difference in our futures. I think honestly, you know, to go along with that, honestly, I think that the older generations, right? Like our, our fathers or grandfathers, it used to be like that. Mm-hmm. which they would help one another and talk to each other. You see all the old guys in the coffee shop and so on and so forth. I, right. I truly believe that that's the way that it was back then. I mean, at least when I was hunting, you know, there'd be a lot of guys hunting together or talking and always helping each other and kind of got lost a little bit, you know, right. and it's nice to see that our generation is trying to bring that back at least a little bit, you yeah. know, at least in our little circle. And it's kind of cool to see that. And I, I you know, it's, it, it's a lot of good positivity for the outdoors, honestly. Hundred percent. We got a bad, we got a you know a bad enough light on us on just what we do and people's you know pictures or deer selfies or and I mean think everybody just uses anything to paint us in a negative light. So if you can be a nice person, if you can help out somebody, it's really not that hard. And I'm I mean I'll be the first one to tell you that I have a short fuse when it comes to a lot of things, but. I get over things real quick and I don't stay mad for more than usually a beer. So it's one of those things that if you can, you know, have a short memory and try to help out the next person. I mean, again, karma gets around to you and the more good karma that you have, the better off. Absolutely. Well, Chris, man, we're at that, that point in the show, man, the best question of them all. And that that's uh, what drives you outdoors. Uh, I, I actually have been trying to think of a creative answer for this. <laughs> I'm listening to you guys' podcast and everything. Um, I would say what what drove me outdoors to begin with was definitely my dad. Um, seeing him have success whenever I was really little and then struggle for a long time and then all the success that he has now and over the years, like he was the reason that I got out, that I do what I do. And now that I have kids and everything, I want them to hopefully look up to me like I look up to him. And my dad is the most selfless person that I've ever met. Anybody, I don't care who you are, you walk up to him and say, hey, I need this. And he will give you the shirt off of his back. So I try to paint paint myself in a positive light because of him and and try to put a positive spin on everything just because i know that's the way he is um and hopefully i can do that and get my kids involved in the outdoors and hopefully more people um because if i don't do it like who else is going to i I mean you can't count on anybody and everybody else sometimes you have to do things yourself and hopefully i can make you know i can get enough people involved in the outdoors and get an interest built in them that it'll snowball effect and you know have a little bit of a positive effect on the outcome of the outdoor industry and hunting in general 
man, that's great. That's, wow. <laughs> yeah, powerful that's stuff. Incredible. And, and funny enough, it it's going to tie into some stuff that's going to be coming down the pipe here soon. So I, I really think you hit the nail on the head and everyone should really take that to heart because, you know, just a little blurb, you know, you get, you got to be the reason. Yep. And if, if you're not, who's going to be, why not you? So Chris, if there's one thing I can say that I've taken away from this whole show, the, the, the key point, the highlighting factor is that, you know, persistence pays off, you know, whether it's a bad day in the woods, when you think the woods busted or whether it's teaching and helping other people or being just a, a good outdoorsman and sportsman, you know, being positive, you know, that persistence is going to pay off. So there's not a whole lot more to put out there other than keep that in mind, everybody, while you're out there listening this season, be persistent. But before I let you go, do me a favor and tell me where everybody can find you guys. Uh, so we've got an Instagram account, a Facebook account, um, Wolfpack Outdoors. We've got um, constantly putting up information um, on kind of what the few of us are doing, um, what are hopefully our kids, family, things like that. Um, so we've got, uh, we don't put out a whole heck of a lot. It just depends on what's going on. I'm sure that'll pick up with hunting season, getting ready to come back around. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find us outstanding and remember guys they're not out there trying to push content and be instagram famous or anything like that however i do highly suggest you reach out you follow you tag them and and give them some support i mean that kind of stuff makes it possible for them to continue pushing their message so be sure to reach out and follow along and for that everybody out there i hope you guys enjoyed this and thanks for taking the ride right here on the outdoor drive Thank you.